you have your Bibles, let's open them, please, to one of your favorite books of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. And uh, some of you, probably the pages are still stuck together. So we'll give you just a moment and time to find it. Leviticus chapter number one. Leviticus chapter number one. And we'll look at this. Here we go. As you're finding that, let me just recognize one of the ministries. I believe I've got this right, and if I've missed your name, just help me out. I'd like to recognize those who work in the baptistry, uh, those who actually help people, give them the robes, uh, make sure the baptistry's ready to go, uh, explain baptism to them, take their names up there, hand them a baptismal uh, certificate, uh, uh, give them the towels, do the laundry of the towels, just any work with people getting baptized. So as I call your name, would you please stand? Candy Schulte, Sebastian Gonzalez, Alan Hambly. He's in absentia. He's out in the middle of the Red Sea somewhere on a ship. Uh, Lila Lavarico, Angie Kaiser, Lori Vaughn, Berto Garcia. And if I missed your name, I apologize. These are the ones I had in my list. Let's give them a big thank you for helping with our baptismal ministry. I appreciate it so much. And uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of stories. Once you work up there, you got a lot of stories to tell. And it's, uh, sometimes it's very humorous. Uh, I still remember it was April Fool's Day. I'm way off subject. It was April Fool's Day. I was talking about I like to fish. So I get this prank call. Someone calls on the landline at our house years ago. And they said, you like to fish? Why don't you fish in the baptistry? And they hung up. I thought, that's weird. You know, I mean, if you don't like fishing, don't prank call me. And so that night we had someone to baptize and I started to get in the water and there were about 200 goldfish (laughs) that were at one time swimming in the baptistry, but now they're laying upside down. They They were still alive. Their eyes were open. And they were just laying there, about 200. And I said, wait just a minute. I got this net. I started dipping them all out. And when that guy got baptized that night, it was so slimy. And so I still remember that story. I still remember when a guy, uh, he said, Pastor, he said, I don't want to wait till Sunday. I want to get baptized today. I said, well, the water's probably cold. And he said, well, that's fine. It was on a Tuesday. He said, I'll just meet you at the church. I want to get baptized. I said, okay. And so I went up, I got changed, got my jacket on and got ready. And so he comes out of the dressing room. He's in a bathing suit, no shirt, just a a men's bathing suit. And I said, well, it's just us here. Get on in. And so so now I baptize a guy in a bathing suit. I will never, ever, ever forget some of those stories. And uh, anyway, some of them we will never tell. So we're in the book of Leviticus, and let's just look here for a moment. Leviticus, Leviticus. Leviticus may, well, let's just read, and then we'll go from there. Notice it says in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle. This uh, was that portable tabernacle. Uh, God wanted his people to worship him. They had just left Egypt. Uh, This is simultaneous with some of uh, Exodus. And so as soon as they're out of the wilderness, guess what God says? Set up a church. Set up a portable church. I want you to worship me. 
and spend time with me. Isn't that something? God doesn't save us just to serve him. He saves us to spend time with him. If we spend time with him, we will serve him. So we see uh, in verse 2, Speaking of the children of Israel, say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering. And then chapter 2, verse 1, And when any will offer a meat offering. Chapter 3, verse 1, And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering. Chapter 4, verse 3, uh, the last phrase, For a sin offering. Chapter 5 and verse 6, and he shall bring his trespass offering. And chapter number 6 and verse 9, it is the burnt offering. And then we see in chapter 7 and verse number 11, and this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And so we'll, we'll explain some of this. I think it'll be practical. But let's pray. Father, bless now thy word. These are a couple books we do not spend a lot of time in, but you wrote them for our profit. There is something here for us, something helpful. I pray as we dig it out, we would see it and obey it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, a little of the background here. Leviticus probably ranks up there with Chronicles as two of the most skipped books when Christians read their Bibles. Uh, We're pretty good with Genesis as we're reading the stories. But when we start getting into Leviticus, where God's people have miraculously been brought from Egypt, the ten plagues, God, uh, the death of the firstborn, the blood on the door, he parts the Red Sea, which is a miracle. Salvation, what Jesus did on the cross, has always been a miracle. It is him doing it, not us doing it. It's a gift. It's not earned. So as they cross the Red Sea, now they're in what we call their travel toward Canaan, the promised land. So this is where Leviticus comes in right here. But as we start getting into it, we kind of get bogged down. Bring me this offering. Put meal on it. Cut this bullock in half. Flay its innards. Put the fat over here. Take the skin. Dump it outside the camp. Uh, let the smell go up. Give a portion of the meat to the priest. The next offering, I want you to put salt on it. I want you to put meal on it. Uh, uh, divide these two dir- uh, uh, these turtle doves or these doves and split them. And, and, and it's a lot of detail of really barbecuing. What I'm trying to say is Leviticus is a man's book. No, no that's not what I'm trying to say. But it, but it goes into detail of how to put these animals on this offering to give to the Lord. Leviticus, if you cut it in half, Levi. So that's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then you add to it, Levites. That was the the workers in Israel that carried the tabernacle parts. So as they traveled, they carried the poles. They carried the tent. They carried uh, the mercy seat. They carry the uh, altar of incense, all the furniture, all the tent, all the posts. They carry all of that. That was their job. So that's why it's easy to get bogged down. Now, I'm not really excited about guys carrying a tent. I'm not really excited about how you barbecue. Now, bring it to my house. I'll get really excited. But while you're preparing it, I'm not going to stand there and ooh and ah while you're flipping the meat over. 
You say, so, so what is all this about? There are several lessons. Number one, God is a giver. The book of Leviticus is all about giving back to the Lord. So why would God tell us to give to him? Well, number one, because he's a giver. When we give, we are Christ-like. We are like him. For God so loved the world that he... Oh, okay. And that's who he is. Uh, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Uh, you could replace the word charity or love in the Bible with the word give or giving, and it would fit just perfectly. When you love, you give. Love is seeing a need and meeting it. So number one, God is a giver. He gives us air to breathe, gives us land to walk on. He gives us food to eat. He gives us commands to make us secure. He gives us salvation so we're eternal in heaven with him. He gives us scriptures to guide us, a church to encourage us. He gives us the Holy Ghost at the moment we accept Christ as our Savior. He gives us 32,000 promises to claim he is a giver. And that's what he does. God is a giver. There's nothing we have he hasn't given us. There's nothing we enjoy that he has not given us. Every good gift cometh from the Father above, James 1.17. Statement number two, he assumes we will give back to him. What do you mean he assumes? In Matthew 5.23, the Bible says, When thou bringest thy gift to the altar. He didn't say if. Matthew 5, he says, Now, when, when you're bringing your gift to put it on the altar... He's referring to the Old Testament when they'd bring an animal. The New Testament, they would bring money and bring it inside the church. He says, when you bring, he's assuming we'll be givers too. Anytime a relationship turns from giving to taking, that relationship soon dies. That's what kills every marriage. Someone who was a giver becomes a taker. That's what kills all relationships uh, uh, now it's all about me. It has nothing to do with you. What, what are you going to do for me? And so God assumes we will be givers. Matthew chapter 6, he says, When thou givest thine alms, sound not the trumpet as the hypocrites do. So again, that word when is used. God assumes we as Christians will have a giving spirit. One, God's a giver. Two, he assumes we will be a giver. Number three, your giving, a place, uh, it places your heart. New Testament, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, illustration. You buy a cabin up in the woods. Name a, name a, name a town. Somebody name a California town. Reading. Reading. Okay. You buy a cabin up in Reading. And it's just going to be a little getaway place. Guess what? Pretty soon you're going to be up there. Pretty soon you're going to be taking that drive. You're going to have to work on it. Pretty soon you're going to take that drive and maybe you're going to spend a couple of nights. Why? Because you got some treasure there. Uh, you invest in stocks. Let's say you invest in what? Tesla. What? Tesla. Tesla. Man, it must be a Tesla stockbroker here. <laughs> Are you really Elon Musk's son from one of his ten wives? Are you one? No, no. And, and so... Here it is. If you invest in Tesla, guess what? Sooner or later, you're going to be reading the newspaper and flip over there to the uh, New York Stock Exchange and wonder how Tesla's doing. Why? Where your, tre where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hey, struggling marriage tonight? 
sink some treasure into your marriage, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hey, struggling with a relationship with your parents, struggling with a relationship with your kids, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'm not saying you always throw money at it. Sometimes the greatest treasure you have is your time. A little boy one time, his dad uh, got just so busy and he had uh, uh, young children and his uh, son was just craving attention and uh, he was rarely home, got in too late. And uh, you know how it does. Uh, you know, when you do good for a company, they start squeezing you out, more responsibility, more hours. And, you know, it, it just takes over. We don't mean it to. But he came home late one night and his, his son said, Dad, can I ask you something? He said, what, son? He said, how much do you make an hour? He said, well, son, right now I'm, I'm making about, I don't know, $60, $70 an hour. He said, Son pulled out $5 and said, Dad, can I buy five minutes of your time? Can I just buy some time so we can just have time together? So sometimes that's our treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You give to the local church, guess what? You're going to show up and find out what's going on with that money. (laughs) Rarely do you have people give that never show up. People that give don't, uh, people that pay for the boat never rock the boat. Have you noticed? Uh, people that pay for the store don't loot that store. Hey, let's go smash and grab. We own this store. <laughs> They're not going to do that. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, said this Tell me what you think about money, and I will tell you what you think about God because they are closely related. I thought that's pretty interesting. Then I want to say this here. God in Leviticus and all throughout Scripture, He mentions what He likes. I don't know how your Christmases are, but when you get older, you don't believe in the guy with the white beard. By the way, we had three here this morning. We had three here this morning. We got some guys with the white beards. One or two kind of heavy and, you know, it's... You know, it's something when the little kids line up and say, I need to talk to you. (laughs) But as you get a little bit older, you know how it is. You look at a family member, relative, and they say, what do you want for Christmas? I don't need anything for Christmas. But what you're saying is, give me something, but let me think. Well, God actually tells us, here's what I want. We're never frustrated. We never give something to God and He says, I don't like that. He... He spells it out in Scripture. Just want to give them to you quickly. And we'll get somewhere with this. So just hang on just a minute. What he mentions he likes. Here's one. Glory. He says, give me the glory. Acts chapter number 5. Ananias and Sapphira. He says, you have not given God the glory. So what's that mean? Give God the credit in all that you do. Uh, uh, Someone sent me the little... uh, uh, success speech from Brock Purdy today after they narrowly beat the opponents by about 20 points. But he was given glory to the Lord and praising God, his Savior. Some of those players are too embarrassed to do that because they're afraid it's going to mess up their social uh, media and, and one of their agents isn't going to like that. But he just spoke up and Hey, all glory goes to God. Uh, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have won the game. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's him, it's not me. You know, God likes that. 
God likes it when you get praised and bragged on and you say, thank you very much. But if it wasn't for the Lord, let me tell you about him right now. He loves that. Give him the glory. You start taking it and you're going to be messed up. Give him the glory. Number two, give him your strength. He says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means God loves it when we do something for him that costs us some energy. And it's not just raising our hands in church. It's not just private meditation. Sometimes it's cleaning. And sometimes it's building a a hallway for a ladies' conference. Sometimes it's building some type of a tower. Sometimes it's in the nursery physically changing diapers and chasing toddlers. Sometimes it's working on a bus on Saturday, changing the oil and all the dipsticks. Sometimes it's warming up a bus and driving a bus all day. But it's uh, when, 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 when energy is expended for the Lord, he says, I like that. Thanks for giving me your strength. I don't know if you realize this, but the older you get, the less you're going to have to give. There's going to come a time for all of us that those strength days where S was on your chest. Pastor, let's have an all night work night. Nothing tires me. Give me a cup of coffee. We can go for that. Pretty soon it's going to be, I'll pray for you guys. (laughs) As you head out the door to the car, praying for y'all, have a good time. Put my time in. You know, there's prime time, uh, and I'm not talking about Deion Sanders or something, but there's only prime time so long. And soon your energy days are spent. Then you become a sage and you're given advice. And you're not going to be able to do all this work. What's, what's the Lord want us to give him? He wants us to give him thanks. I still remember when Tim Tebow, before he became an announcer and all that, he was a Heisman Trophy winner there in Florida. And he started that Tebow sign. You remember that when that was a fad? He had scored a touchdown and he had kneel and put his hand like that, like that thinker statue. And they said, he's T-bowing. And it actually became such a sensation. People started doing it. Uh, They'd get their high school diploma and they'd get on that knee and T-bow. And people take pictures, social media. They'd do it on a bridge. They'd do it on top of a helicopter. Two doctors did it before a surgery. They wheeled the person in. They jumped on the table. and Both surgeons, I saw it. They T-bowed on his table before they cut on him. Don't use Tebow doctors, surgeons. (laughs) But what's the Lord want? Thanks. Sometimes you'll see the football player score a touchdown. Then you'll see them pointing up. And and, uh, if you read their lips, they'll say, thank you. Thank you. He still won't say, well, pastor, Thanksgiving is over. No, that was practice for the rest of the year. What's God want? Accountability. Acts 19.40. There was a riot. And the man that helped stop the riot with the Apostle Paul, he said, we better be careful. We are going to come into account for this today. Anytime we stop wanting to be accountable to somebody, we're looking for trouble. Well, you're always uh, looking after me, always looking over my shoulder. I always want to see what's on my phone. Anyone ought to be, somebody ought to be accountable to all of us. What's God want? Accountability. Because one day we'll stand before him and give an account of our life. Here's how I spent my life, Lord. You gave me 66 years. Here's how I spent my Saturdays. Here's how I spent my Fridays. 
Here's how I spent my early morning hours. You gave me time. Here's the two or three talents you gave me. Here's how I used them. Uh, You gave me a little education. Here's how I used it. Uh, You gave me some health. Here's how I used it. And he'll judge us and reward us according to how we use what he gave us. What does God want from us? What does he want us to give him? Quickly, he wants us to give forgiveness to others. One pastor, he told me, he says, I guarantee you, he said, I've been at it a long time. One of the biggest needs in churches is people to forgive somebody and overcome bitterness in their hearts. Everyone's been hurt by someone. Everyone's been disappointed by somebody. You got to move on. God says, hey, here's something I want. You want to give me something? Uh, uh, Give that person forgiveness. That's good. I like that. What else does he say? He wants our first fruits. First fruits simply means he wants to be first. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance. Then he says, And with the first fruits of all thine increase. Well, what do I get? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. What's he saying? He's saying, when you receive, give God the first. God says, I get mine first. I don't get leftovers. I don't get mine second. After after the government, I get mine first. I want firsts. That's how you honor somebody. I remember years ago, one of the little kids that rode the bus came up to me and said, Pastor, I love you. Here. And they gave me a candy bar with about two bites bitten off of it. (laughs) And I understand you're supposed to turn it around. At least you can start on the other side. But I wasn't honored. It was like, uh, I'm done with this. (laughs) Maybe sometimes that's how we treat the Lord if we're not careful. You know, God will save a 99-year-old person who's wasted their life in sin who has spent their life selfishly, he'll save them. He'll have mercy. But that's not his preference. His preference is to save a young child whose life has been untarnished and they grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they serve the Lord their whole life. That's his rather right there. The first fruits. I want mine first. That's what the tithe is. He says the first tenth, not 10%, the first 10%. That's how we honor the Lord. That's what he likes. I want to say this too. Kind of shocking. He wants the leftovers too. He wants the leftovers too. What does God want me to give him? The leftovers too. Say, so what do you mean? You know the story, the lad with the little lunch. Twice it's mentioned in scripture, two different stories. One, Jesus fed 5,000. Then another time he fed 4,000. He had five loaves one time, seven loaves another time. But each miracle at the end it said, and they picked up the fragments that were left. Jesus didn't say, whatever's in your hand that you're not eating, just throw on the ground. No, if it's still uneaten, still in your hands, we're all full. Here's some baskets. Let's put the leftovers in the baskets. So God took the lunch. Sometimes what happens is a... A young person gives God their whole lunch. Lord, here's my whole lunch, my whole life. He loves that. But sometimes we adults, we get saved later in life. We drift. We do our own thing. We waste some years. We finally get back into the fold and we get back close to God. Now we don't have our whole life to give Him. 
But guess what? He'll take the leftovers. Amen. He'll take what's left. I saw a book one time, and it was called Lord of What's Left. I want to make Jesus in charge of my life, and he will be. But you got to give him all that's left. All of it. I think of Jacob. He, he, he was a conniver and a, a thief and a liar and he deceived his, uh, his dad, deceived his brother. and uh, Just a taker, a taker, a taker. 20 years. Then he wrestled with an angel and God changed his heart. And he comes back to his brother. He says, I have enough. Let me give to you. What happened? God changed him. He gave God all that was left. Moses murdered a man before he was age 40. Later on, as he gave God everything, he wrote the Ten Commandments and led a million people. He'll take everything if you'll give it to him. Amen. Is that not what we could call our church? Put it on the sign, Leftover Baptist Church. Sometimes we're leftovers and God says, and I'll take it. I'm hard up. I'll take it and I can use it. All those lunches were broken, weren't they? Every one of us, to some degree, we are broken. Some of our life, some of our schedule, some of our time has been broken. God says, I'll take it and I'll use it. Don't just quit. Give me what you got. I'll use you. That's how God is. He said, I'll take it. I'll take it. He loves when we give to him. When our kids were young, I've got one brother. His name's Tommy. When he would send them gifts, they would always say this. Oh, it's going to be a good gift. This is from Uncle Tommy. He just kind of had that reputation. This is going to be good. It's from Uncle Tommy. I love that. Now, that's the book of Leviticus. It's kind of it. It's all about giving. Now, look over here. Look at numbers just for a moment. You say, Pastor, we're working all the way through the Bible tonight. Yep, all the way to Revelation. But look at numbers just for a moment. I want you to see how this connects here. We have to hurry. So here it is, the book of Numbers. Some people call this, and they put a word in front of it, some of you Bible scholars, the word starts with the letter, letter W. It's W blank wonderings. You ready, some of you? Wilderness wonderings. It's the wilderness wonderings. So at this time in Numbers, what's going on is this. We find out... If we don't give our, get our giving right and place our heart, we will begin to wander. You know what's interesting to me? During the three years of the pandemic, we had people pass away. We had people move. We had people stop coming to church. And some people... I don't know if aliens got them. I mean, you know, they got beamed up or something. And guess what God did during that time? Not one time did we ever miss a payment. Amen. Not one time did we drop below the, the budget that we had budgeted for the year. How come? God is faithful. And maybe it was this too. The people that stayed through all these years were sinking their treasure here all these years. Where their treasure was, there would their heart be also. Be also the wilderness wandering. So you know the story. They come out of the, the, uh, they come out of the wilderness and, and then, uh, excuse me, they come out of Egypt and now they're heading toward Canaan. Took them 40 years. How did that happen? They didn't have their giving right. 
When you begin to wonder, several things happen. I want you to see this just quickly here. In Numbers chapter number 9. Numbers chapter number 9. Had a lady in the church years ago. She, she tried to be faithful for like 25 years. Just never could figure it out. Sebastian, you know, all it is, I mean, it's simple. Faithfulness is you just come all the time. It's not that hard. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying it. But this lady said, she said, Pastor, how can I get faithful in church? I said, just come all the time. I mean, what am I supposed to say? Do you need a book written on that? How to get faithful in church? 84 chapters. I said, just get here. And so we see here in the book of Numbers, they begin to wonder. When you don't sink your treasure and don't give God what he wants, you begin to drift and wonder. Notice these signs here. In Numbers chapter number 9, verse 17. <clears throat> and when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. God told them, he said, when the pillar of fire or the cloud is upon the tabernacle, stay put. When it rises and it starts leading you, follow my lead. When people begin to wonder, they stop waiting on God. Amen. They start making quick decisions. They start making quick purchases. They start making huge decisions. Never ask anybody. It just pops in their mind. All of a sudden, here's what I'm going to do. And here's what the wanderers did. <coughs> Excuse me. They didn't wait on God. Number two, they began to murmur. Look over here in chapter 11 for a moment. In verse number one, chapter 11, verse number one. And it says, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Verse five, it says, we remember the fish, <coughs> excuse me, which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers, the melons, the crawfish, the etouffee. I can tell you don't have your Bibles open. And the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now our soul is dry. There's nothing at all besides this manna. They began minimizing the supply of God. They began maximizing what the world used to give them. You're starting to drift when you talk about how good it was in sin. When you start thinking about the good old days and sin and away from God and wickedness, you're wandering and you're drifting. Amen. It says they didn't wait on God. Number two, they began to murmur and complain. They said, this man is nothing at all. You know, God's blessings are big. They're not nothing. They're big. And then number three, quickly in chapter 12, let's look here. When we begin to wander, we become critical. Here it is in Numbers chapter 12. In Miriam and Aaron, this is Moses' siblings, brother and sister, spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married. So somehow his brother and sister felt like they needed to give their opinion about his wife. Hey, uh, let me just encourage you. Folks, when your relatives marry someone, it's too late. Stop giving your opinion. If they ask your advice before, give your advice. Once they say, I do, you better leave it alone. Moses is married. Hey, Miriam, shut your mouth. Hey, Aaron, be quiet. He's married. Leave him alone. So they began 
being critical. You know who the critical people are? Those that are wandering. Those that are wandering. I like that old song. Don't throw your trash in my backyard, my backyard, my backyard. Don't throw your trash in my backyard. My backyard's full. (laughs) We all have enough trash. Don't criticize someone else. Number next, when you wander, you get fearful. Look over here in chapter 13, and I love this. It's the name of the spies, if you know the story. Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan to to see if it was safe or uh, they were supposed to bring back the report. Look at their names. Verse 4, I'll just highlight Shemua. 5, Shaphat. 7, Igal. Verse 9, Palti. Verse 10, Gadiel. Uh, I like this one. Verse 11, Gadi. Verse 12, Amiel. 13, Sether. I like this one. Probably talking about his knees. Nobby. Probably had knobby knees. I don't know. Verse, verse, verse 15, and here's my favorite, Gul. See that gill? Sounds like you're just kind of throwing up a little bit. Gill. And that was those spies. Said they came back. And they said, in verse 26, it says, excuse me, verse 33, and we saw the giants. And we were in their sight as grasshoppers. They were filled with fear. Verse 14, they wept. They murmured. We can't go in. When you start wondering, you're going to have some fears that you normally wouldn't have. Amen. There's some security about sinking your roots deep and saying, God, what is it you want from me? You want strength? You want first fruits? Uh, you want my abilities? You want my life? What is it you want? I want to give you all that you paid for. Sometimes we get fearful. I want to say this too quickly. <coughs> Excuse me, too much secondhand marijuana smoke this week. Number 16, we follow the wrong people. We start following the wrong people. In some cases, some of us ought to be leading. Instead, we're following. We ought to be the leader and saying, this is the direction we go. In some cases, we're just following the wrong people or the wrong person. Number 16, look at this. Moses is leading half a million, I mean a million people. He didn't ask for the job, but chapter 16, verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, it said, he took men, the last uh, phrase. Verse 3, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And Moses fell on his face and started praying. So he rises up against Moses. He said, you shouldn't be the leader. Uh, We're going to take over. They're following the wrong guy. Here's Korah. He led this congregation. He led hundreds of people. Moses said, all right, everybody, get away from Korah. Stand back. Stand back. Stand back. And you know the story. The ground opens up. I can't wait to see this when I get to heaven. I think it's video 82. The ground opens up. Korah falls in. His family falls in. His tents fall in. I mean, even his house fell into the hole. And all those rebels that followed him, they fell into the hole. If that wasn't enough, then God (laughs) shut the hole. And then I think the last verse said, and he died or something for the slow people. 
Careful who you follow. When you start to wander, you start following some people you never should have followed. Amen. People that don't know where they're going. Some of these internet preachers, some of these book writers who now think we're in the tribulation and now think Jesus isn't coming back and now think there is no hell and now think everyone's predestined and either you're going to heaven or you're not and salvation has nothing to do with it. It's not your choice. Those guys have holes in their heads. Holes in their heads. They don't know John 3.16. They couldn't quote John 3.16 correctly. Be careful who you follow. You want to follow this book. Follow someone that knows this book. Follow someone who's been saved longer than you. Follow someone who's got some fruit and you can see how God's blessed their life. There's some people in this church and in this nation you could say, man, I've got to follow that person. They follow the wrong person quickly. When we start wondering, we start blaming others for our misery. Numbers chapter 20, verse 3 and 4. And the people showed with Moses and spake, saying, Would God we had died with, when our brethren died before the Lord? Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord to this wilderness and our cattle should die there? They started blaming Moses, blaming others. Now, folks, let me just encourage you. If you're miserable the next four weeks during this December season, it's not me. It's not your mate. Not President Biden making you miserable. It's not DeSantis and, uh, uh, and uh, Newsom's debate. It's not the NFL team that keeps losing. Saints, consistent, they lose often. Most consistent losing team. Stop blaming those people. Stop blaming a boss. Stop blaming your mate. Stop blaming people. Take responsibility, Lord. You can bless me as an individual. Amen. God, you can still hear my prayers. Amen. And they started blaming. Then I want to give you this one too. And then in chapter 21, then I got to wind it down. Here we are, chapter 21. Then if we're not careful, if we begin drifting and we begin wondering, we get discouraged. In chapter 21 and verse 4, it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. There's a lot of things in life that can discourage us right now. We talked about a lot of those things this morning. A lot of things can discourage us. But you don't have to live a discouraged life. You know, I saw the uh, young men up here singing. Uh, Eli on the left. His grandmother just had her funeral this past week. So guess what Eli was doing? Singing. Praises to the Lord. Earlier this afternoon, I came in to uh, get something. And uh, so I'm up here uh, practicing uh, trumpet for some Christmas special. Uh, he's supposed to be complaining. He's supposed to be blaming. He's supposed, uh, he's got stuff to be discouraged about. But guess what? It's your choice. It's your choice. Heard about an Indian. Can we say that word? Heard about this Indian. He said it, I didn't. If you're on the internet, this mean, rebellious kid just said this. I, I begged him not to, but he's wondering. <laughs> he was listening to a missionary preach. He was in a church service for the first time. 
that passed the offering plate. He had never seen one. He saw people putting money into the plate. He didn't have his tomahawk, didn't have any scalps, didn't have any furs to give. And he just got real nervous as the plate came to him. He took the plate, walked up to the front, set the plate on the floor and stood in it and said, Indian, give self to the Lord. Maybe that's what the Lord wants us to start December off with. I give myself to you. God doesn't need your money. Streets are paved with gold. God's not broke saying, how are we going to pay for the economy? Cost of living's gone up. He doesn't need Warren Buffet to help advise him for the finances up in heaven. He's got it figured out. But he does want us. I'll close with this story. It's an old story and I just love it. I just love it. Years ago, and I probably heard this story 40 years ago, there was a man in India, a king, I don't know which country, but one of the countries uh, or one of the regions in India, his name was Naraja. Naraja was the richest man in India. He would travel with, with caravans of elephants, a hundred elephants. He would ride on one, and whatever he wanted, he would get. He was so rich. They traveled through a very poor village, and the villagers heard, King Naraja's coming to town, and they just lined up the streets, and people were sitting just waiting for hours for the king, to get a glimpse of that rich king and his entourage. King Naraja rode on his elephant through that village and stopped the caravan. He looked down and saw a very poor man with a bowl of rice in his hand, eating a bowl of rice. He whispered to his servant. The servant got off the elephant and said, King Naraja wants your bowl of rice. The poor man on the street felt very embarrassed and slighted, like, here's this wealthy man. Now he's going to take my bowl of rice. He held it closely to his bosom. The servant stared, said, very well. He went back. He said, he's keeping his bowl of rice. Naraja said, I want the bowl of rice. He went back down. The man sarcastically took two grains of rice and put it in the servant's hand. He went back to King Naraja and said, Tell him I want the whole bowl of rice. The servant went back down. The man clutched his bowl of rice. King Naraja, the caravan left town. People began to disperse. The man was eating his bowl of rice, embarrassed now. and hit something real hard as he was eating his bowl of rice. He dumped out the bowl of rice and there it was. Glimmering in the sun. Two grains of gold. The same shape as a grain of rice. He said, I gave King Naraja two grains of rice. He has given me back two grains of gold. I wish that I'd given my whole bowl of rice to King Naraja. And I'll say to you as Christians as we begin this Christmas season... You give Jesus your two grains of rice, he'll give you back gold.
in eternity for that. Give him your whole bowl. Give it to him as young as you can. Give him all that you got. Give him your energy, your life, your plans, your music, your friends, your possessions. Lord, it's all yours. And he'll give you back more than you can ever imagine. You give him your life, he'll give you the life. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of others.